Slick V on the track. God is calling me. I'm in a zone. I gotta see my doctor. God is calling me. God is calling me. What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Extra Point College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Carnes, joined as always by my co-host, Daniel Hammock. And Daniel, we had a form 11. This was circled. This one was thought about for a long time. And it even ended up being a bigger week than we thought at the beginning of the season, given Minnesota's 8-0 start. Um, a big weekend this weekend. What did you think of this weekend? Oh, man. <clears throat> that was a lot of fun. Um Obviously, the game of the century, part two, it lived up to the billing, kind of. Um, <laughs> and then just Minnesota, <clears throat> you know, we were talking about them last week, how they kind of got disrespected a little bit with the uh, with their ranking being undefeated and all. And they showed, they showed the heck up. I mean, P.J. Fleck, you know, I will, you know, I know we're going to get into it in a second, but I won't be overlooking him anymore as a as a head coach. Sometimes those rah rah guys, you know, it's less X's and O's and more pump your team up. And I'm usually not for those guys, but in college, especially at a program with not super lofty expectations or scrutiny, I mean, like the media is going to be nice to him no matter what. He's just out there playing with house money. So that was. That was a lot of fun to watch. That was a fun game. I had that one on my second screen while we're, you know, watching some other games uh, around. So, yeah, and a great week for our picks. Uh, Daniel, <clears throat> you went four and three to review. You had wins with Temple. Temple, you won with Temple for sure. I did. Uh, we had a uh, pick agreement win with Baylor, and then we had you had Georgia covering the seventeen point spread. Never a doubt. And then LSU plus six and a half, which we'll talk about here in a minute. I went five and two. Great week for for me as well. I lost the uh, we lost Penn State, uh, laying six and a half. You and I both lost that game. Of course, pick agreement went with Baylor, Texas Tech laying two. Never a doubt. Purdue plus two and a half. Like we said, Northwestern's not going to score points, <laughs> and they didn't. Um, Kansas State plus seven. They kept that one really close. That's a Texas win, but a Kansas State cover. That's a win. Notre Dame laying eight, never a doubt. And I let my I, I I didn't trust my eyes, and I picked Alabama. I had a you know I thought Mate, you got cold feet. Look, I really want to just give you credit for the pick before the season. I didn't have especially after not seeing anything with LSU. Uh, they've been saying the same thing every year. We talked about it where they say we're going to change our offense. We're going to throw the ball more and we're like yeah sure whatever but they really did this year and you picked it before the season started and then you doubled down on it on the podcast and said Bama's gonna lose to LSU the streak ends this year when you got cold feet I mean I got it, cold ha- feet. it happens you're trying to be right you're <laughs> trying to get your picks right which you're doing a great job but you'd be six and one if you'd have just one. <laughs> and for the record, I was rude. I was rooting for LSU. And so yeah. like, you know, just, just to, you know, yeah. This I isn't anything to do with six your and one. boss being an LSU fan, is it? It's not. Definitely not. He, uh, I love my boss and I love it. Orgeron. He makes it hard to root for LSU. <laughs> he, uh, it's, I told him. Evan, it's funny. if you're listening, 
He doesn't mean that. He means that he loves LSU, and he thinks that they're the number one team. I told him, I said, man, it's funny how quickly you abandon defense, because I was talking about how great George's defense has been this year, and he's like, man, defense doesn't matter. It's all about offense. I'm like, man, it's quickly. It's amazing how quickly you can change your mind about defense. And once you didn't season, realize that Coach O stood for Coach Offense. That's what right. it's all about. So, right, but, And then, of course, our pick of the year of the week, Colorado plus three and a half with the outright win. Slam dunk, brother. Slam dunk. And yeah. so I love that little little money line sprinkle we could have put on that and Buffalo versus some trees. Who do you think's gonna win? All right. <laughs> I'll take I'll take the I'll take the Buffalo to run over the tree. So that's a great battle of mascots though, if we're talking <laughs> great mascots. So Ralphie versus that. Unless it's a big old redwood or something, then he don't stand a chance. But oh hey, my gosh. I'll take it. But well, let's go ahead and dive in. Let's talk about uh, the first game of the day, the first big game of the day, which was Minnesota upsetting Penn State. And this game was a lot of fun. And if you haven't watched Minnesota this year, you probably watched them in this game. And if you still haven't watched Minnesota, go watch Minnesota's offense and go watch this kid Tanner Morgan at quarterback because they are a lot of fun to watch. And Minnesota tried to uh, give Penn State a chance late, and then the defense answered big time late. What were your thoughts on this game, Daniel? Well, just, you know, Minnesota kind of jumping out to the early lead. Um, a lot of times you'll see this, but they just kept building on it and kind of validating themselves throughout the game. You know, a lot of times you'll see these noon kicks just be a slow start for maybe the team we think is more talented, more qualified, maybe more entitled, which you would probably put Penn State with these two teams. You probably put Penn State more in that category. They were definitely the favorite. They're both on our picks where we said, hey, they're going to cover those six and a half points. Um, So if we're putting it on that sheet, guys, we really think it's going to happen because we really want our records to look good. So uh, the fact that Minnesota came out, hit them in the mouth, and then just kept doing it over and over they controlled the clock. They controlled time of possession. Um, I mean, it was a complete team win. Um, I don't, you know, I was telling you earlier, a lot of times I don't, you know, believe in these rah-rah coaches and everything with, you know, P.J. Fleck, he's the ultimate motivator. But, you know, the X's and O's tend to hit at halftime, and then you've really got to man up and keep the, keep the um, momentum and really put your foot on the throat. And Penn State hung around, but great finish. Um, this was, I mean, this is probably the most fun Big Ten game to watch this year. And that's not a stretch. Yeah, this was the most fun game to watch. Because every other big matchup has either been a blowout or a struggle fight. So it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. And, you know, Minnesota came to play, like you said. They got the lead early, built on that lead. And because of that, it made it really hard for Penn State to come back. But at the end of the day, I mean, Penn State outgained Minnesota in this game. They had more first downs. Like, now time of possession, Minnesota dominated time of possession. They held the ball for 35 minutes to Penn State's 25 minutes. But, again, Tanner Morgan came to play on third down. Minnesota's only 4-10. Penn State was 8-16. of uh, They threw for more yards. Penalties is about even. And so this game should have been 
pretty even. And honestly, Penn State had the opportunity to win. But as we've seen several times this year, when you turn the ball over, you're <laughs> you're probably going to lose, especially if the team, you know, you turn the ball over two, scores points off of those turnovers, which is what Minnesota did in this game. Penn State turns the ball over three times, three interceptions for Sean Clifford, including that one that sealed the deal at the end of the game uh, in the end zone, and you're going to lose. And so I had some friends ask me after the game, they're like, hey, you had you know Penn State at four. Does that mean Minnesota jumps in the top four? No. And that's my reason why. It's because when you turn the <laughs> <No>. ball over, like, <laughs> when you turn the ball over three, like this is an excellent win. Like Minnesota, all credit due, excellent win. When Penn State turns the ball over three times, you know, you're going to lose the game. And so we'll talk about this in a little bit, but Penn State actually did not drop beneath Minnesota in our rankings. You and I both ranked Minnesota higher. But overall, Penn State did not drop below Minnesota. Just given a lot of the stats, like strength of record, this is the first big team that Minnesota's played this year. Penn State has two other top 15 wins. And so, um, yeah, a big win for Minnesota. Tanner Morgan's the real deal. This offense is the real deal. And my opinion of them changes moving forward. So Minnesota is at 9-0. They said first time since 1941, which they won the national championship that year. And now they've got three games left. Their next two games are on the road. They are at Iowa on this Saturday. Then they go to Northwestern. That's a W. (laughs) And then they host Wisconsin at the end of the season. And so you're looking at potentially, I mean, if they beat Iowa, then they win the Big Ten West. Not since Pearl Harbor, my friend. (laughs) So. And so the question is, are they going to beat Iowa? I haven't even looked. Where's the game at? It's at Iowa. 4 p.m. Kinnick Stadium's a weird place to play. Weird things happen in Kinnick Stadium. Um, if Iowa gets them to play their kind of game, maybe. Um, <clears throat> but I don't know. I mean, Flex really got them believing. And especially if you're a team. I mean, traditional, you know, conventional wisdom i guess is gonna say hey you're coming off a high you know high and you know winning a big game there's a chance you're gonna lay an egg but i mean when your coach is the ultimate motivator i mean sky's the limit i mean they could definitely run the table and finish out and go to the big 10 west or big 10 championship will Uh, minnesota finish undefeated that would be crazy I think Wisconsin beats them, but so you think eleven and one, and if they beat if they beat Iowa, they win because then Wisconsin yeah, already has two Big Ten losses. So and, yeah, if they beat Iowa. Well, excuse me, if they beat Iowa and Northwestern, sorry Northwestern, <laughs> then then they're in. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think. I mean, you know, I wouldn't have thought you're saying, you're saying eleven and one. Well, I'm saying I know I, – I mean, I'm not saying I know for sure. I'm saying my gut is that they lose to Wisconsin. Right now, the Iowa game's a coin flip to me, where earlier I would have leaned Iowa. Uh, what if I told you that Iowa opened up as a three-point favorite? I mean, I would probably take the points. Um, yeah. <laughs> but if I'm picking the game, but 
No, I mean, being at weird... home in Iowa, just, they do weird things up there, man. It's like. It's a weird spot for both teams, too. Iowa coming off of a two-point loss to Wisconsin. Uh, another big game this weekend that we'll just mention. Wisconsin wins at home, 24-22. A very, I mean, that's kind of what you expect from this kind of game. Like, defensive battle, close game. You were on the money with the points. You took the points in some one of the other picks that we did. You know, Wisconsin being a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, but So, was Iowa coming off the close loss. Minnesota coming off the emotional win. It's a weird spot. And so ESPN's FPI gets Iowa a 60% chance to win. I don't know. I might take the points. My my opinion on Minnesota has changed, but this Iowa defense is legit. But big win for P.J. Fleck in that program, and surely Minnesota will jump into the top 10 this week in the college football playoff rankings. They are ranked 17th initially. I, I assume they will jump into the top 10. Um, yeah. 330, CBS, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. For the first time in eight years, the LSU Tigers take down the Alabama Crimson Tide. And this game cannot have been any more opposite than the 9-6 game in 2011. <laughs> um, 46-41, the over hit. I mean, 87 point. If he told me in t- 2011, hey, in eight years, Alabama and LSU are going to combine for 87 points, I'd have laughed at you. <laughs> and so... Um, I mean, crazy game. Talk to me about this game. Yeah, this, it's funny because my grandmother was up here hanging out with us, and she is a Alabama fan that... I forgot about that. Yeah, she, and I love my grandmother. She acts like I wasn't there when I was growing up, and, I mean, she wasn't an Alabama fan back then, and... But she told me, she said she liked them back when Bear Bryant was there, and then she really likes Nick Saban, so that's why she's an Alabama fan. So she's not saying that she's always been one. She just likes the coach and so pulls for the team. But I was watching it with her, and, uh, yeah, she was shell-shocked, to say the least. Um, And it's just – it's one of those games where, you know, if you took the names of the teams away – and just looked at the results through the season so far, you would have said, this is going to be a shootout. For some reason, as this game got closer and closer, I just kept thinking, man, both coaches are going to tighten up. This thing's going to be, it at the most, someone scores 31 points at the most. This is probably going to be, you know, a, you know, a 16 to 10 and, you know, someone scores a late touchdown and wins 17-16, something stupid, you know. Um, I really did not expect it to be a shootout like what it ended up being. Now, granted, a lot of those points were scored late, um, just with LSU going up by two scores every time they would score and then kind of playing. I, I don't know if they were trying to let Alabama have it, but, you know, Alabama would score relatively quickly. Um, but – it's kind of like how I compare it to the Georgia Florida game the week before in that once LSU scored that touchdown to go up, uh, was it 16 to seven? Um, from that point, or I guess it was a field goal from that point, Alabama never got the ball with the opportunity to tie the game or take the lead. So the lead was never in question from there. Um, 
So LSU, you know, obviously the final score looks really, really close, but LSU did dominate for a for a time, especially at the end of the half. Very uncharacteristic of Alabama. Uh, very surprised with the turnover, um, the pick, and you know, there's a, a couple of just bonehead plays. Tua, not, I mean, I want to say not playing like himself, but I honestly feel like in the biggest games he's played in, he has struggled. Um, and I, I don't have, I haven't pulled up any, any of the stats on it, but just with the eye test, cause obviously watched most of those games cause they're the biggest games of the college football season. And a lot of times they've been involving Georgia, um, but he hasn't had his best games. So, you know, I don't know, that may be a red flag for the NFL teams looking at him, the injury situation, all that stuff, but just uncharacteristic of Bama, the, the blocked punt, you know, the kind of the punter muffed it a little bit and then, um, the turnovers just it and LSU capitalized all credit to them obviously Clyde Edwards Alaire I mean that's a fun name to say but he he really yeah, had a game a great game out of the backfield for someone who I didn't even know his name to start the year I just kept thinking John Emery Jr. because he's a five-star all-world recruit and Ty Davis were going to be the backfield bell cows and Joe Burrow's going to throw the ball around I just thought that that was their offense, but Clyde Edwards-Alaire has something to say about it. He's a great blocker out of, in the backfield, catches the ball, runs the ball. He's just a complete back, and it's been impressive because LSU in years past at their best um, has a committee of backs, and then every now and then they settle on one guy, but he's usually like the stud guy, like the Leonard Fournette, the Darius Geis, you know, the whoever, but – you know, this, I mean, they kind of settled on him, and I think it's just because he can do everything. They don't have to take him off the field. So, great game by him. Fun game to watch just because somehow you knew Alabama was going to scratch and claw their way back in it at some point. So, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, this LSU team is so much fun to watch, so easy to root for. I mean, you go from, they were talking about at LSU at the end of 2016 – uh, you know, while Ed or while Edo was coaching their last game, they were talking about potential guys they were going to hire, and he had to listen to it while he's the interim head coach. And then LSU hires Ed Orgeron, and the rest is history. I was one of the biggest doubters going into last season, and last season I became a believer, and I just think he's learned, you know, every stop of the way. And now he's in LSU, he's a Louisiana guy, and he is one of the big reasons that makes, you know, it makes it very easy to root for this LSU team. Joe Burrow, another reason to make it really easy to root for this LSU team. Joe's just got, he's just kind of got a swagger about him. And just he's likable. Like, he's really likable. He's not, he's not arrogant, but he's got a swagger. The way, like the way he walks, the way he plays. This when like, he talks about SpongeBob. I mean, <laughs> he he's got this edge about him. He's really he, competitive. The team believes in him. He's a leader, and. I mean, to, to your point, if I'm an NFL team, I am taking Joe Burrow over Tua 10 times out of 10. Because, like you said, Joe Burrow has proven it on the biggest stage. Tua has struggled against every great defense that he has played. You know, you can say, yes, the Georgia National Championship, uh, he had two interceptions in the, in the first one and two interceptions in the second one. Now, the second interception in the first one, 
it was intercepted by Calvin Ridley in the end zone for a touchdown because he wasn't throwing it <laughs> to Calvin Ridley. He was throwing it to somebody else, and Calvin said, oh, crap, I got you. Um, and so, and then against Clemson. Look what he did against Clemson last year in the national championship. And so, and then against LSU. You know, I, I tweeted during the game, like, being injured does not excuse bad decision-making. That second interception was just bad. Like, I don't know who he thought he was throwing it to horrible decision by Tua. And so Joe Burrow makes it super likable. And like they dominated the first half, 33 to 13 at halftime. And to take that interception and then with 30 seconds left for LSU to put their foot on the gas pedal and say, if we're going to beat Alabama, we got to be aggressive. We got to go for the end zone right here. And they did it. And that's what you got to do to beat Alabama. That's what Georgia hasn't done. That's why they haven't been able to beat Alabama. That's what Clemson did do in the championship. And that's what LSU did on Saturday. Foot on the throat, foot on the gas pedal. Uh, they go and beat Alabama. Great, great win for LSU. And now they have three huge wins on their resume. And, you know, for for Alabama, they kept it close enough to keep themselves in the playoff conversation. <laughs> and that's something during the first half I was like, Alabama is about to be eliminated from the playoff. If right. they get killed by LSU, they're, they're done. Because they're not going to have the resume at the end of the season. You know, their best win could be either a nine and three or an eight and four Auburn team at the end of the year. And so other than that, what other win do they have? They don't. And so LSU keeping it close and then stat wise, they kept it close. Total yards. um, LSU had 559. Bama had 541 Uh, passing yards. Bama had more passing yards. Like we've talked about. What wins games is a rushing offense, and LSU outrushed Alabama 166-123. to 123. Time of possession, LSU 35 minutes, Alabama 25 minutes. Just a great program-defining win for Ed Orgeron and LSU, and we'll take a look at our rankings in a second, but uh, definitely making a case for themselves to be the number one team in the country. And so, I agree. Well... Some news that happened today that was not surprising <laughs> um, is Chad Especially Morris. after this weekend. Yeah, Chad Morris being fired at uh, at Arkansas. And I, I, I wrote down, again, this is made my second-tier picks, Western Kentucky plus two and a half, and I'm like, surely Arkansas is going to try to turn this around. Circle wagons. Wow, was I wrong. And here's, I don't know if you, have you heard the story about Western Kentucky's quarterback? No. Well, let me tell you. Number one, uh, his name is Story. <laughs> Ty Story. Ty Story was oh, a yeah. quarterback was at, Arkansas. at Arkansas. And he got ran out when Chad team. Morris became the head coach. And so now as Western Kentucky's starting quarterback, he comes back and drops 45 on Arkansas senior day. <laughs> and now, look who's laughing now as Chad Morris gets fired at Arkansas on Sunday. And so one of the quarterbacks he ran out, uh, he then caused to be fired a season later. And so, um, yeah, Ty Story went off. I mean, Western Kentucky, this game was not close. They dominated Arkansas in every statistic. And Chad Morris is fired. We don't need to talk a ton about it. It's not surprising. He never won an SEC game. There was no upside. There was no promise of the program turning around you know we knew this one was coming but i mean fun topic now is going to be who's who's the next coach 
to be fired? Who's the next domino to fall? There's not, and I'll, I'll say this, as far as an obvious choice, I don't think that there's an obvious one. So I think this is a good question. You know, people would have guessed Willie Taggart and Chad Morris yeah, as, those, as those the season has progressed. Yeah. So um, the fact that both of those are gone already kind of lends you to start thinking, okay, some of these other teams, are they going to, you know, are they going to go ahead and move on? A name that came up that I was just out because I was looking around and, you know, you posed this question. I wanted to see if I could find somebody. And I mean, I wrote down Will Muschamp. He's been fired from an SEC job before, but I think he's done a good job in general with South Carolina with what the resources they have. And I don't I mean, my my question when you're going to fire somebody is who are you going to replace them with? Because for years, Georgia fans would say, fire Mark Richt. And I'm like, I don't see the replacement. Who, who are you going to replace him with to make you better what you have? So, I mean, Will Muschamp has to win out, a.k.a. beat Clemson, hmm. to go to a bowl game this year. So, it's likely that they're going to miss a bowl game this year. If that's yeah. the case, I mean, he beat a top five team. I just, I don't think that they do, but that's a name I wrote down. Um, you want to give me a couple of yours, or I can go through. I've yeah, got five, written, I mean, five written down. Clay Helton. That I was the next that, one. That's just, it's inevitable. I mean, the athletic director they just hired, at first they said they weren't going to hire him because he said he'd like to go after Urban Meyer, and they said you can't, and then... Now he's hired, and so I'm guessing they told him he could, which means he has in his mind going into his job that he's finding the next USC head coach. Right. Which I, I honestly do hate it for Clay Helton because I think he's a decent coach, but what USC wants is they want to be Alabama. They want to be really flashy and sexy wanna, and the best. Yeah. They're USC, and like they absolutely should be. Like, with you know, we've talked about it, they have the fourth most talented roster in the country. And they've suffered a ton of injuries this year. I just hate the way it's gone down for Clay Hilton. Like, I think this has been inevitable. I think people before the season were saying Clay Hilton's going to be fired. But, like, I mean, with all their injuries, including losing your starting quarterback, like, before the first game of the season. And they lost their backup for a game. Yep. And, like, a ton of starters on defense. But they've lost a three to BYU, 14 to Washington, three to Notre Dame, got killed by Oregon. But Oregon's been killing everybody. But I think they went out and go eight and four, and it's a pretty sucky situation to get fired for going going eight and four with all those injuries, yeah. with with a tie for the Pac-12 South, <laughs> like yeah. potentially a tie for the Pac-12 South with uh, um, or one game behind. I'm sorry with Utah. It Utah. might be the best thing for Helton though, if he could just go quietly into the night and find a mid-major or somewhere that doesn't have crazy crazy expectations. And just get them to bowl games every year. It could be a match made in heaven where it's almost like how uh, Chris Peterson was at Boise. Or he was just, I think they had a contract stipulation where every time he went to a bowl game, he got a five-year extension. Or, or <laughs> he Now, he got a five-year extension. And after that five-year extension, every time he made a bowl game, it extended by one more year. So it was something crazy like that. And it was like, he's going to go to a bowl game every year because he's a great coach. Or a good coach, not great, like what we've said before. But, yeah, I think, I mean, I agree with you. Helton, 
I mean, he's been a dead man walking, and it's not even his fault. Yeah. It's just, it just is what it is. They want the name. They want people to look. They want Lane Kiffin. If Lane Kiffin would put, you know, put a product on the field, I'm not saying they're going back to him. That's not. I'm saying how he when they picked him last time, it was so that he would be flashy and right do his thing. But he didn't restore them to their greatness. Yeah. So, um, the next name I wrote down. I don't think he's going to get fired, but I wrote Derek Mason. Um, I like him as a coach. I think he's a really excellent defensive mind. I think he's a great builder of men, um, molder of men, whatever you say. Just, I think his his team loves him and fights for him. And I I just I like him. I think he's a great coach. Um, and Vanderbilt's Vanderbilt. So that's a hard job. It's a tough job. You know, he is quoted after a game, you know, saying everybody thinks they want this job, but I'm the right guy for this job. And it's like it's something maybe right. <laughs> you, you know, you have to I mean, it, you're not going to be James Franklin and win nine games in three years or nine games in a row or three years in a row. Excuse me. Um, that's lightning in a bottle. And if they're chasing that, I just don't think they're going to. Or the years ago when Jay Cutler was there and, you know, they had a good season here or there. Um, Mason's really going to give you your best. I don't know about your. He's just it's one of those things where he might be the best coach you can get at your level because nobody's going to come in just to be an SEC coach and get pummeled. Like, look what happened to Chad Morris. Like, yeah, Mason's better than Chad Morris, I think. You know, so that's one of those kinds of things. I think he could get circled by people, but if if he does get fired, then I think that Vanderbilt, their expectations are out of whack a little bit. But that's a name I wrote down. Charlie Strong. I'm just going to fade Charlie Strong. (laughs) Problem is, he won't be fired because USF doesn't have the money to fire him. So they won't. But he's not going to last at USF. Yeah, he's – I think his his uh, um, appeal has rubbed off of – the shine has rubbed off of his name. You know, after he left Louisville, everybody's thinking, oh, he's taking over Texas. This is going to be the greatest. He's going to bring Texas back, and then he didn't. And then it's just kind of from that point, it's been like, okay, like maybe not as great of a coach as we, we had hoped he would be. Um the next two, I'll just put them together. They're both at their alma mater. So it would be crazy for them to get fired. Um, I don't think Jim Harbaugh is he's he's not going to get fired the way they're playing now. This is he'll, he'll leave before he gets fired. Um but he did get a little hot seat talk at the beginning of the year. I think if he continues to lose to Ohio State it's going to continue to build up and he, like, I agree with you. I think he'll leave before he gets fired. I don't think it's going to happen this year. I don't think it's going to happen next year, but I think in, in a couple of years it would, it may happen, but he's just a name because of hot talk, hot seat talk earlier in the year. And then I wrote down Pat Fitzgerald partly because yeah. Northwestern's terrible. Um, he gets credit for being a great coach and turning down bigger jobs to stay where he's at. But He's kind of come out with a couple of hot takes against, you know, 
millennials. I was joking earlier in the year how he was anti-millennial and he's talking talking down about this generation. And I'm thinking, aren't you trying to recruit this generation to come play football for you? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, and again, what are their expectations? Because I don't think that they're really going to fire a coach because it is Northwestern, kind of similar to Vanderbilt. But, I mean, anytime someone has a bad season, you got to kind of look look at the look at the coach and and think if there's if there's something wrong uh if he turns around next year though i think that they could they'll be fine did you have any others no that was it for me okay well let's talk about the rankings and our rankings i'll, I'll give you what we talked about last week we nailed the college of all playoff rankings <laughs> and so we'll see if we nail it this week and we have a new number one for the first time in several weeks lsu takes over the number one spot in our rankings by a little bit. And so their scores are uh, 0.6 points apart. And so less than a point. Them in Ohio State, number two. Clemson at number three. Clemson, you can calm down. You're finally back in the top four. And then rounding up the top four, the Georgia Bulldogs. Alabama at five. Oregon at six. Penn State drops to seven. Oklahoma at eight. Minnesota at nine. And Utah at ten. And so... I think this is going to look a little bit different from the committee. If you, you know, if you, if you're, you know, what do you think the committee's going to have on Tuesday night? Top four. What do you think their top four is going to be? I think they keep Alabama in the top four. I do too. I think they're going to go. I think they go LSU number one. I think they go. I think they could put the 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 three elite undefeateds up there. Um, so I think they go LSU, Ohio State and Clemson and um and then I do think they go Bama and then Georgia slides into that five spot and then I think you know Oregon is number six at that point and then I think they're going to put Minnesota they're going to jump Minnesota up somewhere really high uh, so I don't think they'll be behind Penn State I think out, out of principle they're going to put but I don't know if they're going to move Oklahoma up. Oklahoma had a close win against Iowa State. I don't think so. Um, you know, Utah still, you know, I don't, I don't know. That's outside of that. I don't think it really matters after six. But yeah, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, then Alabama probably, and then Georgia after that, just for now. Um, obviously, Georgia ended up number four in our rankings. Um, so that's interesting. But um, something I was going to say about Ohio State, it's, it's not, it's like, it's like the committee is going to have to give a breakup speech to Ohio State and be like, it's not you, it's me, you know, you scored 73 points and you did everything you could to hold that spot, but I mean, LSU just beat Alabama in pretty dominating fashion for a while, so I think the right thing to do is to put LSU number one because of the resume. And yeah. And the problem with the committee is the opposite problem we had with the BCS system. And so we, we were like, the BCS doesn't work. We want something different. We want people because people watch the games. Now that we have that, now it's flawed. People are like, Oh, we don't like this either because people have to define what is best because, and I've gone back and forth all day with his LSU number one or his Ohio State number one. For me, it is a 1A, 1B, because if, if you're asking me, based on what you've seen and what you've watched, 
who is the best team in the country? You know, take numbers away. Just like watching every team they've played, you know, not knowing anything about any team, who's the best team in the country? And I would tell you, Ohio State, and honestly, it's not close. And then if you said, like, hey, here's some numbers now. Here's who they've beaten. I'm like, oh, wow, LSU's resume is by far the most impressive in the country. Right. And so it depends on how you define best. Like, I, you know. I this is the, the ultimate argument. dichotomy between these two. It's like LSU is most deserving if you're going by resume. Yep. And Ohio State is the eye test. So you're going to see which one they weigh more right here. It's- and, and last week, and here's the problem I have with it, too. The committee needs to decide what is most valuable. Now, that being said, I know we said last week they got it right. I do think they got it right. But I think they need to determine the how and describe that a lot better because they said, hey, the reason Clemson is five is because they don't have a lot of top-ranked wins in their schedule. But Alabama is also three. (laughs) They were just like, look at how they've played. And then it was like, hey, Ohio State is number one. You know, and now at the time they had the same amount of ranked win as LSU did, so now LSU adds one more, and now they add a top four win to that, and so you could definitely argue, you know, again the eye test for Ohio State, and then the resume for LSU, and then it's the eye test for Alabama, but it's the resume for Clemson, and then it was the resume for Penn State, the resume for Georgia, like eye test for Oregon, and so they just need to like, hey, what's <laughs> most important? What's best? And right. that like that's the biggest problem I have with this. I like that there's people. I like that they watch the games because I think the eye test matters. Like, I like that I can watch Ohio State and say, hey, I don't care who they play. Look at how they're playing. Same thing with Clemson right now, honestly. Like, for yeah. all the crap they get up their schedule, look, Clemson's dominating, dominating everyone right, right now. now. They wore their orange pants on Saturday. They've gone into playoff mode. And, <laughs> I mean, you know. According to Dabo, they're scratching and clawing. They're all shucks. We'll just see if we can get into the top four. We're only one spot out. And like you'd think that they were the bottom feeders the way he's talking, but <clears throat> he's another excellent motivator of his team and they're 10 and 0. So, yep. And given that, here's what I think the committee will do tomorrow night. I do think LSU jumps Ohio State and they're going to use the resume as the reason why. So, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama as the top 4. I think Georgia and Oregon stay at 5 and 6 and so everyone just moves up one given the Penn State loss. I have Minnesota. That's what they're going to put at seven. I think they'll have Utah um, at eight, Oklahoma at nine, Penn State at ten. And so I think that's how they're going to do it tomorrow night. But we'll see. And, that, I mean, ESPN also needs to do a better job of asking the hard questions, and Rob Mullins better do a dang good job of explaining why, because <laughs> they have a uh, – I mean, honestly, they, they have a really hard job. They're going to scrutiny. But I do agree with something Drew Butler said. I wish these meetings were public. Like, just tell us what you're talking about. I can better understand. Put it like, on if, C-SPAN. Why is there not a channel? <laughs> like, what? I'd, I'd watch it. They're like, There's hey, they three they C-SPANs, and they can't get the committee on TV. I don't understand it. It's like, hey, they deliberate for four hours. I'm like, I'd watch it. I, like, because the thing is, I get it. I get that it's hard. You know, I've ranked teams every week this year. It's hard. And the thing is, ours are very fluid. You know, I look at my rankings from last week, but then I'm like, based on the body of work, maybe I think I thought this team was better last week. I think they're better. You know, I think well, team B is better this week. If you think if you think in terms of a top 25, then there's 25, you know, more data points to review 
So it should move, you know, there's a lot to change perception wise. Um, Ever since you mentioned it earlier in the year, because I hadn't seen it yet where they, you know, look at a cluster of three teams and kind of determine who is the best of those three teams and how, you know, how do you determine that? Um, Obviously this is going to bring into question the, the best one loss team. Cause you know, pretty much everybody believes that the top three will be some form of LSU, Ohio state and Clemson. There's no doubt about that really. Um, But who's the next team? Who's the top ranked one loss team? Um, And so the cluster I'm really looking at, I mean, in all honesty right now is Georgia, Alabama, and Oregon. Um, And how do you define who's the best? And, you know, I, I think they're going to put Alabama ahead of Georgia just because Alabama has a better loss. Georgia's loss is looking worse after South Carolina loses to App State this week, but Georgia's got more top 15 wins. They've actually got some, you know, Alabama or, you know, that's one thing I'm, I'm looking at. Like, how are they going to define who the best one-loss team is? Yeah, and I may be surprised. I I think there is a chance. I think there's a good chance they put Georgia ahead of Alabama because last week they talked up the fact that, yes, Georgia has the bad loss. And the, the committee's done this every year, I will say. Look at Clemson the early years where Clemson had some bad losses, and they said, but look at their good wins. They were excused. And, you know, like like the, a good win outweighs a bad, like a good loss and a bad loss. Like the committee values good wins more than anything. And so maybe they value two That's good true. wins over a good loss and a bad loss. Because they, they already had Georgia at six as the best one-loss team before this weekend, obviously. And their reasoning was like, hey, look at the wins they have. They said, yes, they lost, but look at the wins they have. And you look at these other one-loss teams, and it's like, what wins do they have? Okay, cool. If you're comparing everyone has one loss and who is the best wins, yeah, it's Georgia. And so maybe the committee will, will use that logic again. But we will see on Tuesday when the rankings come out. But that will do it for this edition of The Extra Point. I am Jacob. He is Daniel. We'll see you on Thursday.